Radio. Being a citizen for me is having certain rights, certain democratic rights, um, being involved in, uh, in, in crafting and being part of, in crafting the society that you live in. So having that input um, and using that as well, having those rights and using them. Our Balkan talking to us for Civic Radio. He's a designer for and co-founder of Indie. With Indie, we are a tiny, tiny, tiny social enterprise based in Brighton in the UK. And we're trying to build an alternative independent technology that very simply enables people to communicate, to share the things that matter to them with the people that they care about without also being forced to share them with a stranger. In this episode, we talk to Owl about how we communicate with each other, the tools and programs that we use to do this, the perhaps hidden costs we give in exchange to use them, and how we might build systems that better support the interests of the people using them. I started out when I was about seven years old. Uh, my dad brought home uh, an IBM XT computer. It was uh, a clunky tin box, basically, um, and a basic manual. And he, he laid those in front of me and he said, go ahead, play with it. You can't break it. And that's you know when I started at the age of seven to learn how to program and make games because there weren't too many games out for that machine. So I had to make my own. And um, it was a path from there, really just tinkering, playing, enjoying this amazing universe that was inside of this box. And uh, it's been a process from just tinkering and playing, you know, for mostly my own amusement, to realizing that the things that we can make with technology can have a profound impact on people's lives. So as much as it's important to, uh, to play and tinker, um, it's also really important, I think, to understand the implications of the technologies of the things, the products that we make on the lives of people. So it's been a long process for me to realize that, you know, just uh, in addition to making, how we make things, why we make things, these are really important. Um, it, it, because the things that we make influence people's lives. They change people's lives, either for the better or the worse. If they're beautiful and they're usable, then, you know, if they're delightful, then, uh, you know, they're, they're creating a positive experience in people's lives. Um, but we can go even beyond that and start to question, you know, how the products that we make affect people's freedoms, how they affect democracy itself in the longer term. Do you have any, any thoughts about how government institutions use technology? Well, I guess different government institutions use technology in very different ways. Um, from, you know, all the way from using it to spy on us, as we've seen the GCHQ and the NSA doing, um, to hopefully using it to, uh, to in some ways empower us and get us more involved in the processes of government, the processes of democracy, um, either by opening up access to those, um, to those institutions or by, by actually uh, encouraging people to be more involved. Civic change in technology that is used to help people talk to each other manage things, work out what's going on. Is that something which you think should come from grassroots, grassroots level, people building things themselves, or you think it's something which can come from the top down? 
I think we need a combination of all of the above. It's great uh, that people today are empowered to build their own technologies and that's more accessible than ever before. But I also believe that if we're going to strengthen the commons, um, that, that, that we need uh, input from, from governments as well, from uh, even like intergovernmental organizations, quite possibly. Um, because, you know, we're getting to a point where there are certain things that individuals can do. There are certain things that corporations can do. But there are certain problems, apart from transnational corporations, who solve it for their own purposes. If we want to solve those same problems, but benefit humanity in general, not just the profit motive, then we might have to start thinking about what sort of intergovernmental organizations we need to create to enable those spaces. So what I'm talking about are public spaces, public spheres, which we are losing, um, or which we, we never had to some degree in the digital realm, which we're used to having in the physical world, um, that, that we really need because they're essential to the democratic process. I think that's really that's a really good point and really really interesting point. And have you got have you got any practical ideas about what this space might look like? Well, I mean, let's take Twitter for example. We like to think of Twitter as a public sphere, as a, a, a positive democratic instrument. Um, but if you actually look at what Twitter is, Twitter is a you know Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley-based transnational corporation. And it really only has one goal, to provide quarter-on-quarter -quarter profit growth for its shareholders. Um, I mean, corporation law being what it is in the United States, if it acts contrary to that, it, it can be sued by its shareholders. And yet, we can see the positive democratic uh, effects that Twitter has had. But we mistake it for a public space, for a public sphere, where it's not. It's much more like a shopping mall. Uh, than a park. So what is the park equivalent of Twitter? It doesn't exist. And the current corporate systems and the venture capital system that we have will not allow any company to build that as a public sphere. So what do we need there, I think is the question. Maybe we do need an intergovernmental organization of some sort to create a public sphere, a Twitter that is a public sphere. Because I think that's the only organization with the funding that that sort of an organization is the only organization that would have the funding to do that. And do you think there's a will that to make that happen? Do you think that's a realistic possibility? I think it's definitely a realistic possibility, but people have to realize what the problem with the current system is. And the problem there, again, fundamentally, is that we are conflating public spheres with private spheres. And that has, you know, uh, quite important ramifications for democracy itself going forward. If all of our democratic institutions are privately owned and run uh, in the interests of private corporations, then we don't necessarily have a democracy anymore. Democracy isn't just a vote. If we don't have any of the democratic institutions that go along with it, the instruments for communicating, for, for public debate, for freedom of speech, then we don't really have a democracy anymore going forward. And I think that's the real danger here. But we have to be aware that there is this possibility that this corporate system of uh, technology that we've come to accept as the norm um, might have ramifications, real ramifications, for democracy itself. We do need alternative technologies that are independently funded. They don't have to necessarily be 
uh, governmental, uh, you know, that doesn't have to be governmental funding, um, but they're independently funded, independent of venture, venture capital, independent of the Silicon Valley model, um, and that, you know, uh, aim to solve societal problems. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and I'd love to see more. I'd love to see more social enterprises, tech social enterprises, um, that reject venture capital and the Silicon Valley model and, and instead build things that add to the commons. You know, and, and not even for altruism necessarily, but for selfish reasons, for, because selfishly people want to live in a better world. Do you think that tech skills, so coding, is something that people should learn in order to understand how things work? Is that going to give people more power to understand how they use no, this technology? No, I don't think coding alone will change anything. T teaching people to code alone uh, won't change anything, just like teaching people how to write just by itself won't change anything. It's a skill. It's an important skill to have. But without also teaching critical thinking, without also teaching, uh, giving them a contextual framework within which they can use that skill, um, then we're only creating blunt instruments. And we've got enough blunt instruments in the world. I think we need more people with the critical thinking facilities uh, that are necessary in today's world to make a positive societal contribution. Would you like to talk a little bit about IndieNet or what you're working on right at the moment? When you go on Facebook, you go on Facebook so that you can share your photos, your moments with your friends. But the price that Facebook charges for that is they say, sure, we'll enable you to do that, but you also have to share all of that with us. You have to involve us in all of that private information that you're sharing every instant message, etc. We're going to look through those to try and understand you better because that's how we make money, by selling that information, by selling you. So um, this is basically the norm in technology today, this model. It's fueled by venture capital. That's where the interests come from. That's where, uh, you know, uh, that, that's where it gets its character. And, um, and, and, and that's the norm. That's the Silicon Valley model. So we're going against that and we're saying, no, we're going to build technologies that respect human beings that don't, you know, in, in some creepy fashion, spy on them as a core tenet of their existence. Um, and that's what we're doing with Indy. Okay. Have you got a, have you got a strategy or, or thought about how you get your message out? So the widest number of people can get behind your idea and use it. Well, I'm not entirely sure at the very beginning that we need the widest amount of people. And, and, and the strategy right now is quite the opposite. We're starting very, very small and we're iterating on the user experience. Right now, it's in a, a private alpha program for that reason. Um, and that hasn't even completely kicked off yet, uh, where we haven't opened it to everyone in the private alpha, because I want to get the core experience right here. Because people who care about these issues um, are building other alternatives. There's a lot of open source stuff being done. There's a lot of free software being done. And a lot of it just doesn't cut the mustard because the experience isn't there. So people also use Facebook and, and Twitter and these, you know, these mainstays of technology today because they're convenient. The convenience is what makes them viral. So unless we can match or hopefully exceed the user experience um, of these incumbents, 
then we haven't got a chance. We need to get that right. And that's where free software and open source has failed repeatedly in the consumer space. Free software and open source, of course, you know, fuels the internet at the infrastructure level, and it's everywhere, but not at the human communication level, not at the experience level. And that's what we're trying to get right. And once we have something people want to use, they will use it. So you're trying to create a technology which allows people to communicate with each other, with different groups of people. Yeah, in the say way I'm going to share photos with you, Joe. Yeah. Um, I just want to send you some photos. Maybe they're of my family, you know, maybe there's they're, they're weekend photos that I took. I just want to send them to you. And I want to be able to do that without also sharing it with Mark Zuckerberg. I think I should be able to do that. Um, the same with if I want to just message you. Or maybe I want to write something a bit longer form. And I want you and some other people to see it, but only that group. Or maybe I want to publish to the world, you know. Um, I should have the ability, of course, to publish widely, but, and this is essential, I should also have the right to privacy, and where private means just between us, not between, just between, not, not just between us and Mark Zuckerberg. I, I wonder how you go about defining and working out what it is that you think people want. I, I, I truly, as a designer, do not believe that you can answer the question, what do people want? I think as designers, we can answer the question, what do I want? And I think it's very important, therefore, that our teams are diverse, so that what we want is a reflection of what a larger group would want. Um, because we can't ever hope to compete with a, a diverse group that's designing for themselves if we're trying to design for the other. And that's the problem. That's how we normally view design, right? We go out and we do a lot of research. We try to understand this, you know, group of other people that we're trying to build solutions for. And that's, that's where we make our fundamental mistake. We can only really best design for ourselves. So that's why it's so important that we make our organizations as diverse as possible. So that by designing for ourselves, we're designing for a diverse audience. And that's what we're trying. I mean, it's very hard when you're a tiny little social enterprise like we are with, you know, uh, an almost non-existent budget that we got from donations initially. Um, we can't, of course, grow, you know, we're, we're, we're just a handful of people right now. But as we grow, that is something that we're paying particular attention to. So that it's not a colonialistic sense of design or an imperialistic sense of design where we, the people who are in the know and who have all this knowledge are designing for the other. No, we are a diverse audience and we are a diverse group designing for a diverse audience. That's where we need to get to. The key thing to understand, and this is where we're trying to do things differently again, is we have to understand that certain places where technology falls short today and current uh, organizations fall short today are not mistakes, but they're due to the way that they're designed. So for example, if we had created Indy uh, not as a social enterprise limited by guarantee, which means that we don't have any shares, which means that we can't sell Indy even if we wanted to because there is nothing to sell. We don't have shares. If we hadn't created it that way, and if we'd gone out and, and gotten venture capital, then we wouldn't be able to do the things that we actually want to do.
because we would have sold our future users, the people who are using our platform, and I hate that word users, I mean only two, uh, two, two um, lines of work have, have used that, used that uh, term, you know, one, one are drug dealers and the other are developers. People, we're designing for people, not users, we're not trying to addict them, to get them addicted to something. But we would have sold the people that are going to use our platform even before we started, because that's how venture capital works. You go to a venture capitalist and you say, you know, what are you going to give me for these million people that I'm, I'm hoping to have on my platform in two years' time or three years' time? And they go, well, we'll give you this much today because we're going to hopefully get 10 times that back when we conclude the sale in a few years' time. So you've already made a sale. You're just waiting to conclude it. So. I think it's very important that we have a holistic view of design. We have to understand that the most crucial design decisions are made at the organizational level when you're just starting out. And, uh, and also that you know, design is not just about the short term. It's not about just creating a great experience right now that makes you happy in the here and now. That's very, very important. But what does it do to your human rights? What does it do to democracy in the long term? So I call this whole term design. And I think if we're going to solve the societal issues of today, we need to start practicing whole term design. Anything that is related to the Silicon Valley model is not going to have uh, the impact that even if it promises that initially, you know, oh, we're building this thing because like uh, I was at a Nesta event recently and someone there said uh, it was a health company from the US. From Silicon Valley, they're like, oh yeah, you know, we want to get into the NHS. We we find it hard too, but we have this little pill that you can swallow, and it tells you all about, you know, whether or not you're complying with the medication you're supposed to take, etc. And uh, I was like, okay, that's 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 your that's the illusion, that's the misdirection. But you're a venture capital funded company. How will you make your money? And his response, because he thought, you know, it was like a like-minded group of people there. He was like, well, we realize it's a data play. And uh, so basically, they want you to swallow a pill and then sell that information from inside your body. To there's, there's only one model here. No matter what the stated purpose is, you are the product, and that's really key, you know. And so, in anything that has a civic purpose, etc., I think we need to find other models. This one cannot work because it the the it was designed differently for a different set of purposes. You're you're seeing that a lot. Like whenever technological solutions are requested, the people that councils turn to Silicon Valley companies, because who else will they turn to? I mean, they're the ones that they see. And, and, and when Google says, yeah, sure, we'll help you out, they're just perpetuating their, their business model. Is that there are lots of people who outwardly say they're tackling the same problems, some of which are for different reasons. You hear open a lot as a word. Open as a word is entirely meaningless in what we do. Open can mean anything from conservative style privatization to free as in freedom. And I think free as in freedom still means something uh, as a goal, as a purpose. Uh, I think the commons means something. Strengthening the commons means something. But open by itself, that doesn't tell me anything about what you're doing, for example. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I, I, I learned the hard way. So if there's any advice, when you hear open, ask questions. Well, like the, yeah, because the open thing is, yeah, it, 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 can, yeah, it can be anything. And it's something which... And for any purpose. Remember, we were sold the whole, like, lie of Web 2.0 using open. 
uh, people like Tim O'Reilly told us, hey, uh, you know, uh, build apps for Twitter using their open APIs. It's going to make the open web better. No, it just strengthened their silos. It got them to a point of strength where we lost control. Like at the very beginning of Twitter, the first hundred people who were there had a huge amount of power because Twitter wasn't that useful to them. They were far more useful to Twitter. But as we built Twitter up, and we did, developers built it up, you know, we built the apps, the first clients, etc. There came a tipping point where we became not important. And that's where Twitter said, actually, stop building clients now, stop using our API for this or that, use it only for these purposes. Because by the time these companies that are venture capital backed reach that level of momentum, then you can't change it, right? Either they will die because of decisions that they make, which are against their users' needs, because of course they have two audiences that they're designing for, which is make, makes it much harder. Or they will keep going in some way, in you know, shape or form. It's not getting letting them get to that point, at least not now, now that we know. I think it's, it's similar with the kind of open data government thing, yeah. whereby people are, are building these things, they're building these open data platforms and they're collating all this data, but yeah. there's very little actual concentration on what this data is going to be used for and actually and think what... of the political side why is a conservative government so behind open data the conservatives are behind open data because they see it just as another form of privatization they're taking value so they're doing it for the wrong reasons it might have positive effects as well but what they're not doing is they're not protecting the freedom of the data that they open instead they're opening the data Right, but then saying to people, hey, but if you want to then take that data and then add value to it and make it really valuable, you can close that off. Right? That's not protecting the freedom of that data. That's privatization. That's saying, hey, look, here's some government land. We're going to give it to some corporations, but you guys can build a fence around it afterwards. You don't have to make it a park. Are you overall positive about, do you, do you have yeah. positive yeah, about I mean, what you're doing? In terms of technology, there's no infeasibility here with what we're building. I mean, it's it's difficult to create a great experience, yes, but there's absolutely no reason for there to be that man in the middle in our technologies. And that's what's going to make the, the difference between technologies that, that strengthen democracy, that strengthen individual freedoms, um, and ones that erode it. And the norm today are ones that erode it. Um, but it's not a technical reason. There's no technical reason for Facebook to be built that way. There's every business reason. There's every financial reason for it to be because we are the product. Yeah, that's what we need to get right. We need to start getting that right, or else we're going to be, you know, down down a road where we realize we're living in a corporate future, not a democratic one. Those two things are at odds with each other. Corporations and and the, and, and and a corporate a corporatocracy, I guess I've heard it called, is uh, is at odds with democracy. That's a new feudalism. It's not the government, it's not feudal lords, it's corporate lords. Civic Radio is part of the Civic Shop, which you can find at Somerset House in central London. And we're online at www.civicworkshop.city. You can subscribe to these podcasts by searching for the Tech for Good TV feed on iTunes. Civic Radio.